0: Between series, we're between series at this point, we revisit something that has to do with things that are basics, things that we are served if we become brilliant in. And this morning we're going to consider a question, whose responsibility is response ability? God tells us things, wants us to respond to them. Whose job is it to cultivate our capacity to respond to what God asks us to do? or whose responsibility is responsibility. If you have your worship folder, take it out. There's some verses from the Bible that speak to this question. And the one that we'll start off with indicates clearly that ultimately God is responsible for responsibility. Look what it says. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God says, I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God promises to take responsibility for our responsibility. By putting his spirit in us, he moves us to follow him. We will talk this Saturday morning about how we can access the Spirit's influence. It is available, but there's some things that when we understand them and believe them, it allows us to access the Spirit's influence. It's not automatic. The Spirit tells us things. As we understand, listen to, make room for, and believe the things the Spirit testifies to us, it changes our heart. It cultivates response ability, and that's what we'll talk about in some detail this Saturday morning. If you then are coming, just so that we have enough materials, if you would let us know, there's, I think there's a tear-off sheet, there's the circular in there, so let us know about that, and we'll talk about that this Saturday, but this morning, we want to notice that God assumes responsibility for our responsibility, and it will be important for us to see that this hasn't always been the case has not always been the case. Um, according to the terms of the Old covenant, we as humans are responsible to cultivate the ability to respond positively to God. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 32. See your worship father? Well Moses finished reciting all these words, to all Israel, and he. This is at the end of the forty years in the wilderness, where they gave the Israelites the law in the beginning of that time period. And when he was going to leave the scene, he gave it to them a second time. And so, Deuteronomy is second. Namas law. So this is the book of Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. It's the giving that he gave right before he passed off the scene at the end of the wilderness. Um, he goes, when Moses finished reciting all these words to all Israel, he said to them, take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them, you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. It says, take to heart All the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, told them to take or to put these words on their heart. God put them on stone. It was their responsibility to take these words and apply them to their hearts, to think about them, to inscribe them on their hearts. God held them responsible to do so. But he just didn't hold them responsible to put the words on their own hearts. He held them responsible to put their words on the hearts of others. It says, command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. So they were responsible not only to put the words on their own hearts, but on the hearts of their children. And it's important to understand and to be aware of the weight of this responsibility, the weight of this responsibility, we look at it and say, oh yeah, that's not a big deal. They just need to do the best that they can. Mm. If you look at the terms of the Old Covenant and the seriousness to which God held them accountable to do so, um, let me read you just how heavy this can become. I want you to think about yourself as a mother or father, and you have a kid who is not really interested in spiritual things. And they are somewhat rebellious. And if you were an Israelite traveling through the wilderness, this would be the weight that you would be dealing with. If a man, and this is in the law, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother, this is in Deuteronomy 21, verse 18 through 21. You don't have it, but let me just read it to you. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall, this is not optional, this is a command, something you had to do, you were responsible to do, shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious he will not obey us. He is a profligate and a drunkard. Then all the men of his town shall stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. So they were responsible to put the law not only on their hearts, but on the hearts of their children. This is not just do what you can. It's okay. It's do what you must. And if you're not successful in your ability to put the word on their hearts, then you must be accountable to provide the proper punishment, which in the Old Testament was you have to stone them to death. You feel the weight of that? I don't think we can feel the weight of God assuming responsibility for divine influence until we understand how heavy it was at the time. Um, The weight of this responsibility impacted those who proclaimed the law. Look what it says. In Exodus 19, God tells Moses, I'm going to appear to you and then he tells him why. Now, I'm going to read in Exodus 19 what God told him. Then, After God shows up, I'm going to read and we'll listen to what Moses tells the people. And what I want you to see is something changes between God saying, this is why I'm going to appear, and then Moses saying, this is why God appeared. You see if you can catch the difference, okay? You see if you can catch it. Something switches here. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that, here's the purpose, the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Why is God going to show up on the mountain? Why is he going to do that? All the people will see God speaking to Moses and then they would always what? Understand that God, Moses speaks on God's behalf. Okay? Pretty clear, right? Not confusing, is it? Pretty straightforward, okay? Then this is what happens when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke. They trembled with fear. When we think of God coming down on Mount Sinai, we might think of nice fluffy clouds, maybe a rainbow. It was frightening. It was an assault on the senses. It smelled acrid. It was loud. God's voice was thunderous. They were afraid. It wasn't, hey, time to go to see God. <laughs> it was, time to go to see God. And even, Mo, even Moses was trembling with fear. So the people stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. And then he's going to tell them why God's doing this. God has come to test you. So that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. That's not what God said, is it? God said, I'm going to be with you so that all the people will know that I speak with you. And Moses turns around and said, this has happened so that the fear of God will keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. The weight of human responsibility, I think, caused Moses to misrepresent the message. I'm not blowing up Moses. But would you agree with me? Something got lost in the translation here. Would you agree? Nothing switched. Uh, So that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. And then with Moses, so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. And again, we can't blame Moses because, would you agree, looking for Motivation to get somebody to obey. The fear of God is a bottom shelf kind of thing, right? Frighten people into obeying God. That works, right? That works, right? Frighten them. Scare them. It would have been logical because Moses grew up in Palace of Pharaoh. Frightening person and was able to leverage fear to cause people to obey. And that would have been Moses' exposure. It would have been normal for him. And um, Paul puts an interesting spin on Moses' mindset and gives us something that we might not have realized. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 3. Paul says, we're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. Here's my question. Why did Moses put a veil on his face? You know, you might think it was, well, because it was the wattage of him being with God was too strong. You know, people were going, holy smokes, Moses. You know, turn it down, will you? And it was that. But you know what was happening? It was once Moses left the presence of God, he might have been at 100 watts. By the time he got down the mountain, he was maybe at 95, 94, 93, 92. You know the way it is with that stuff, that glow-in-the-dark stuff? You know the glow-in-the-dark stuff, right? It can be teeth, or it can be these little trolley things, and and so you you put it up into the light, and then you turn the lights off, and, boom, 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 and it glows. And then and then if you kind of put it on the you put it on the thing on the side, and then in the morning, what's up? Is it glowing? No, it's not glowing anymore. And so Moses kind of felt like one of those things, but he knew well if I'm going to cause the people. To keep obeying God, I need to stay shiny, and I can't do that because he knew somehow that the shine was diminishing, so you know what he did? He did this, so hes came down right when he came down, I want you to look at my face okay now let's listen this is now what's happening as he puts the veil up? What's happening to the glory? Wow, 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 wow,, wow. so it's fading, but can you see it fading? no. I am wearing a veil so you can't see that the glory is fading. And what would you assume? The glory is the same. Ah. I wonder why, I wonder what Moses thought about why the glory was fading. I guarantee you, he didn't think it was because it was God's desire that it fade. And that is the truth because the old covenant and the glory that accompanied it was never meant to be permanent. Therefore, the glory didn't last. When God means something to be permanent, the glory doesn't go from 100 watts to 95 watts. But but Moses didn't think that God did. He didn't think that that's what God was doing. What do you imagine? He thought that his skin lacked glory, acceptance or something like that. So I imagine, I don't know for sure, I bet you he blamed himself. He blamed himself, and so he might have been kind of ashamed that the glory faded. But at any rate, I think he felt responsibility for their response ability. And what he determined, I've got to make you believe that the glory is staying so that you'll do what God wants, so that the fear of God will keep you from sinning. When those who speak for God assume responsibility for the people's responsibility, you know what they can do? And it happens. They can change the message to change the people. You ever experienced that? Changing the message to change the people. I have a question. Can you change the people by changing the message? Trick question. Trick question. Can you change the people by changing the message? The answer is, yes. But the change is skin deep and short lived. The change lasts about as long as the glory lasted. It doesn't change the heart. It just changes the skin. It's not hard deep. It's skin deep. That's what happens. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. The change fear produces is skin deep and short lived. But the thing is, Feeling responsibility for human responsibility sometimes causes the one speaking for God to change the message, to veil the reality in order to cause people to get with it. Human responsibility, though, didn't even work with those who were listening. Here's what happened. Moses is up on the mountain getting the law. He was up there a while. And the people are kind of anxious to get going, but they don't want to go into the wilderness alone, and Moses isn't coming back. So anyways, they kind of, they took care of things. Let me read what it says. You don't have this. Let me just read it. for you. When Moses approached the camp, and what the people had done is made a golden calf, and the golden calf was going to lead them through the wilderness, Okay. Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf they had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, this is great. I love this passage. This one of these things. Great lies of the Bible. Great lie. This is a classic lie. Okay, listen to what happened. Okay. Aaron, Moses' brother, is describing how it came to be that there's a golden calf. <laughs> he said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? So Aaron, do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. And as for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. (laughs) That's what it says. Really. I took the the jewelry, threw it in the fire. Bam, here comes a calf galloped out of the fire. And I'm sure Moses said, you want to try that again? Aaron. Yeah, no. But you know, at any rate, uh, you think that the fear of God will keep them from sinning. You know, God gave them the thing. Do You know how long it was between the time that God showed up on the mountain and the time they made the golden calf? A month and a half. A month and a half. They go up. Are you going to do what God says? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do what God says. A month and a half later, oh, let's make a calf. <laughs> if fear... Could cause people to be response able, the golden calf would never have been made. If you're going to frighten somebody into obeying God, you better be able to be more frightening than God was on Mount Sinai. And you're not going to be able to do it. If fear couldn't work for them, it's not going to work for others. And you know what? It's not going to work for you. Not going to work for you. It's, for you. Uh, it's natural. Let's talk about, and and it seems that fear is part of when humans are responsible for human responsibility, but that's not the way it was all the time. What we see, there is divine responsibility for human responsibility. Let's talk about, well, look what it says in Hebrews 8, verse 8. It says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This is in your worship folder. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them. Turned away literally means I stopped caring for them. They violated the covenant, and so I violated my relationship with them. I was going to protect and provide for them, but they did not do what I asked them to do, and because they didn't, I stopped being their protector and provider, and that's because they didn't follow through. Okay. But it says the, the covenant that he will make will not be like the first one. How will it be different? Listen to what it says. This is the covenant, verse 10. I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I, and, and if you look at it, it's with Israel, but it's to Israel, to the whole world. Because remember what Jesus said on the night when he instituted the Lord's Supper, which was going to do? This is the in my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood. Is it just for them? It's why he died. Jesus died to be able to inaugurate a new covenant that's for everyone. How is this covenant different? Let's read. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Listen to this. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. Do you remember the first covenant? Who was it that had to put his law on minds and write it on the hearts? Do you remember what it said? Whose responsibility was it? The people's. Whose responsibility is it in the new covenant? God's. That's different. He assumes responsibility for responsibility. Is that not what it says? And we'll try to figure out what does that mean? But would you agree with me? We tend to think God helps those who help themselves. That's not true. That's not true. God didn't say, okay, Those of you who were able to be response-able, I will help. No, they weren't able to be response-able, so you know what God did. He made a new covenant. I will make you response-able. Would you agree that's different? I wonder how much of our spiritual problems come because we assume responsibility for something that we cannot do. Can you change your heart? You know what God wants to change in you? Not just your behavior, your beliefs. Not just your behavior, your motives. You might be able to change the outside, but can you change why you do what you do? Would you agree with me? That's a taller order. You can do, okay, I'll do what I'm supposed to do, but underneath, frism, 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 you know, I don't like the fact that I have to do this, but you know, so what does God look at? We think, or we tend to believe that he looks at the behavior. He's not looking at your behavior. He's looking at your motives, why you're doing what you're doing. And that's a thing that you can't change. That's why he has assumed responsibility for your responsibility, because he's going to change, not what you do, but why you do what you do. And when Your attitude changes. What's going to change as well? Your actions. He's going to change your thoughts, your conceptions of him, which is going to change your attitudes, your responsiveness to him, which is going to change your actions, what you do. But it starts with thoughts, attitudes, and actions. And that's what he changes. And he's good at it. And maybe that's what we're supposed to believe. He's good good at it so maybe you can stop trying to change yourself putting the fear of God on yourself maybe you can be a little gentler with yourself that's scary isn't it can we change if we remove the weight of responsibility and fear can we change We have to believe. That's, that's the hard part. Um, I, okay, look at it. Uh, so, verse 10, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother say, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. What's new about the new covenant? We saw one thing. It really does change responsibility. Would you not agree with me? If, if you hear anything this morning, I want you to think about that. The first thing to change in the New Covenant was God assumes responsibility for our responsibility. That's got to be important because it comes first. Right? It's got to be important. If God assumes responsibility... That has to mean that he absolves us of responsibility, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Ultimately, whose responsibility is our responsibility? Ultimately, it's his. What would happen if we believed that? Good question. No longer are humans ultimately responsible for divine influence. He cultivates responsibility... And he develops relationship. I will be their God and they will be my people. God establishes, res, assumes responsibility to develop the relationship. I'm going to be to them, God, and they're going to be to me, people. Um, he's putting something in place. He says, no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Here's what happened. When the Israelites sinned, God said in the first covenant, turned away from them. He stopped caring for them. Could they know him? Not only could they know him, how about the people who came afterwards? So I'm part of the generation that failed to keep the covenant, and God turned away. Now I have kids. What's gonna, is, are my kids going to be able to know God? No. No, they're not going to be able to know him and people coming after. So what God says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. You know what that means? God will not do this to you. He won't do this. Or to your kids. What would happen if you believed that? That's a good question, isn't it? Here's the answer you would become more responsive to God. That's the answer. Your heart would soften. When he told you things, you wouldn't bristle as much. We're always going to bristle, but to the degree we understand, he lifts the load. How many of us would move towards somebody who lifted a load? God is the one who lifts the load. And I think he wants us to know that. And to the degree we believe it, helps us to be responsive. Um, And he says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. God's never going to sever a relationship because you screw up. What would happen if you believe that? And again, we've talked about it. The word literally is not, I will forgive your wickedness, but I will be helios. Helios means cheerful, gracious, benevolent. Here's what it says. Really, this is what it says. I will be helios to your wickedness. I will be helios to your unrighteousness, says. And literally what it means, I'll be non-reactive. So you're going to do something. In the Old Testament, God depicted as going like this. In the New Covenant, you sin. You know what God does? Nothing. He wants to be your protector and your provider. You watch something online and you look at him again. If you see him and he hasn't changed his face, he didn't go from this to this. He didn't go from this to this. He doesn't change. Before you did that thing, you know the thing that you do. You know that thing. The thing you feel bad about. You look at God's face. He wants to be your protector and provider. You do that thing. And you know what happened to God's face? Nothing. Nothing happened to His face. What would happen if you believed that? That God was still in you after you did that thing. Still with you. Good still ahead of you, guaranteed. You know what would happen? It would increase your response ability. That's what would happen. God gives us promises, and they change us when we believe them. You know what the new covenant is like? If you have bad internet, and you get good internet, or bad cable, and you get good cable service, and sometimes, you know, it drives you crazy. The, the signal is not strong. So right in the middle of something, it starts to, you know, go, Wing, Wing, to do things or shuts off completely. You know what the new covenant is? It's, it's a stronger signal. And God's going to cause you to know him. And the signal is never going to flicker like it did in the old. It's not going to flicker. The light of his glory is going to continue to shine. Clearer picture. It, it really clarifies who God is. And here's my question. Which is God like? Is God like the frightening visage on Mount Sinai? Or is God like the different image that we get from Mount Calvary? Which one is God? Which one is God? They're both God. You're off by a covenant. God's like that. Off by a covenant. What is God like? He is like Jesus declares him to be. What would it change if you believed that? you would become more response-able. That's what would happen. It doesn't happen all at once. Um, look what it says. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. This is an amazing verse. It really is. Look what this says. Can fear... Is it God's intent to use terror? Now, the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, but it's not talking about Dorothy, the tin man, and the scarecrow in front of the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> no, what it's talking about. Fear is reverence and respect. It's somebody that you go to for protection and provision. That's what it means to fear God, to see him as, well, who are you going to call? Who are you going to call? That's what the fear is, the one that you reach out to for protection. That's God. Um There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Let's say, okay, Mike, you know, I'd like, I'd really like to be focusing on what you're saying, but I've been taught to be afraid of God, and I can't make that fear go away. How many of you would find yourself, now, you don't have to raise your hands, some of you, how much, how many of us, maybe I will have you, how many of you were taught that you needed to be frightened of God, that it was good to be frightened of God? Number of hands, number of hands. What are you going to do if you're going to try to change that? Try to convince yourself not to be frightened. I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. That works, right? That works really well. That doesn't work, does it? You know what it says? There is an answer. So if you're afraid, it says perfect love drives out fear. Let me tell you about perfect love. It's not the love from the person that's sitting beside you. That's not perfect love. Perfect love is his love. So, here's what you do. If you're afraid, you can try not to be afraid or you can focus on perfect love. And as your understanding of perfect love grows, what's going to happen to your fear? What's going to happen? I'm understanding perfect love. Wouldn't you know it? And this is fear. This is love. I'm understanding love because I'm looking at love. And what's happening as my understanding of love grows? Perfect love drives out fear. You want to be less afraid of God? Make more room for his love. Make more room for his commitments to you, his grace to you, because that's going to do this. And as that does this, guess what? If your image of his love is greater than your fear, what's going to happen to your response ability? It's going to increase. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. What's our role? God's promises don't benefit us if we don't believe them. Here's the challenge. I don't think God has stuttered. Believe him. Belief will not happen overnight. Make more room in your mind for his commitments for his love, for his grace. Keep coming back. We'll talk about this all the time. Why? Because it's the way we become responsible. That's why. Um, back to 2 Corinthians. We'll close. Look what it says, that verse, 2 Corinthians 3. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. Listen to what it says. And you tell me if this isn't still true today. This was written in the middle of the first century. You tell me that if this is not the truth today. But their minds were made dull. But to this day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. Do you know what he's saying? Even today, Paul says, there's individuals who still believe that that the Old Covenant is the way God operates, that he'll bless you when you obey and curse you when you disobey. Is that still the truth today? Absolutely it's true. There was a seminary, and they asked the students who were becoming ministers, to what degree are the curses found in the Old Covenant still relevant in the lives of Christians today? And all but one in a class said, absolutely relevant. God still curses people who disobey. What did Jesus say at the New Covenant? This is the, at the Lord's Supper, this is the New Covenant in my blood. If we believe it, it begins to benefit us. Um, It goes on, it has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses' red veil covers their hearts but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Here's what I'm saying. It's possible to still get confused in the Bible. The Bible is confusing. But what it would have us understand is to unveil Moses' face is to see the Old Covenant was never meant to be permanent. Is the Old Covenant in effect now with children of God? Is the Old Covenant in effect? Is it the way God operates with His children? Okay, what has it been changed to? The new covenant. You know what that that understanding, evidences? The veil has been taken away, and that's what it means to be a Christian. Jesus takes away the veil, helps you to see that was a temporary covenant. The new one is permanent, and God assumes responsibility for responsibility. He assumes responsibility for relationship. He forgives your wickedness and remembers your sin no more. And when we believe that, it begins to change our heart. Okay, what if you believed his promises? What if, what would, and again, what if you, what would it do if you believed this from God to you? I am responsible for your responsibility. You're not. What would happen if you believed that? What would it do if you believed it relative to your kids? I am responsible for your children's responsibility. You aren't. Dare I say, you would become more gentle with yourself, less harsh on yourself. You would become more gentle with your children, perhaps, less harsh, more gentle, more humble. Hmm, who does that sound like? Who does that sound like? Jesus, who is gentle and humble in heart, and you would find rest for your souls, for his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Hmm. How can you believe his promises? Seminar would be a good thing. If you're able to come, it'll be practical. Some of you can't do that. We have some books 40 days with the 10 commitments. Not because I want you to buy the book, but you have to make room in your mind for commitments. Do that. Do that. Communion actually exists to tune us in on the new covenant. That's what Jesus said. That's why he died. This is the new covenant in my blood. So as you get the elements, and we're going to play some music, get the elements and eat, drink the juice and eat the bread. But when you do so, I want you to remember that as part of the New Covenant, God assumes responsibility. He says, I will establish a relationship with you. He says, you're going to know me because I'm going to forgive your wickedness and remember your sin no more. So as you take the elements, think about his New Covenant and believe it. Think about it. Okay, Play some music and get these things. And I'm not going to tell you when to eat the bread and, and drink. Any if, if you're here, just... Everybody, please, take the elements and think about the covenant these elements represent. And feel the weight lift a little bit. Father, thank you for your words, for speaking them and causing them to be preserved. Thanks for a place that we can consider them, think about them, and encourage one another to continue to remain in them. pray that we would do so. And as we do remain in your words, that, that they would change us and to the people that you would like us to be, it would make us more like Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.